So Matthew 1, 18 through uh, 25. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her, in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God's, God with us. When Joseph spoke from, uh, woke from sleep, uh, he did as the angel had, of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <laughs> Thanks, Bela. Um, well, welcome. Welcome to Midlands. Uh, my name is Randy. I'm one of the elders here. Um, our Advent series is titled Dreamers. Um, and so this is a good tie-in to if you've seen the movie Field of Dreams. Um, we see that if you move it, they will come. So we're glad you're here today. <laughs> in the rain and uh, we had a place to meet so um so that's great uh you may be familiar with the story that um that bela just read obviously it's the christmas story and um it's uh, pretty familiar to most if not all of us but before i get into that story i think it would be good to maybe start off and share a story with you about a little boy named jack jack uh was born into, um, I'll say a religious family. I don't know how, uh, how um, devout uh, Christians they were, but definitely uh, he was raised uh, taken to church. Uh, every Sunday he was uh, um, told the Bible stories and uh, in church and at home. When he got old enough to read, his mom gave him a Bible so he could read those stories um, himself. And he, he really loved stories and he, uh, um, in his house, the family had a library, and it was just tons of books there stacked two or three deep on each shelf. So I'm a little jealous of Jack, I think. But, um, but as a little boy, he was given free reign. Like, it didn't matter to his parents. He could read anything. So if he was old enough to be able to read the book, it was, it was fair game for him. So he started reading these stories, and he really loved stories about as a little boy, about animals that could talk and had human characteristics, so he really loved the Beatrix Potter stories. And um, but as he got older, he started reading things and really got into Norse and Greek mythology, uh, Irish mythology. Um, he just really just ate that stuff up. And um, so he's hearing all these stories and reading all these stories. But then a few things happened that kind of took Jack away from uh, the, the Bible stories and kind of made him question their truth. Um, when he was nine years old, his mom passed away. And she was kind of a rock in the family, and her dad just really couldn't handle it. And so when she passed away, he took Jack and his big brother and sent him off to boarding school. And so it was just difficult for him. And, uh, and so he really started questioning God. Did God exist? 
and uh, he graduated and he went off to uh, college briefly, um, but this was during the First World War. And so he uh, was immediately, I don't know if they had a, a draft, uh, but he's, uh, he was in England at the time, and, and so he was called to service in the First World War. And uh, war's horrible. And so he, uh, he actually became an atheist in his, in his teenage years, and, uh, but, but a different kind of atheist, if, if that makes sense, um, because he was mad at God for not existing. That's how he, he phrased it. And so, um, but he still loved these stories. He still, he still uh, brought, got joy out of the Bible stories, even though he was having trouble believing that they were true. But he really still believed and uh, liked to, to read um, mythology, just loved it. And so to the point that when the war was over, he went back to school and he went to Oxford University there. Um, and uh, he got a degree in English literature and he ended up um, getting a job at Oxford. And so he was teaching. He was a fellow and a tutor of English literature. So he's still kind of immersed in this medieval storytelling. And, uh, and he meets some friends, some really good friends at Oxford. And uh, I think most of you probably know who Jack is, but Jack's real name, because Jack was what he decided to call himself when his dog, who was named Jack, he died when he was five. He started saying and only answering to Jacksey, and eventually he would answer to Jack. But his real name was Clive Staples Lewis. That's, that's who most of us know him by, C.S. Lewis. And he met a couple guys, um, and one of them was this guy named Hugo Dyson, and another guy was a, you probably haven't heard of this guy, but his name was J.R.R. Tolkien. Apparently he's written some books, um, not really sure what they're about. But, uh, but these guys would spend a lot of time talking, and they would they would share their faith. They were both believers, and they would share their faith with Jack. And ultimately, and it's a long process, but, but Jack eventually moved from being an atheist to a theist, where he believed that there was a God. But ultimately, and I've heard a couple of different um, versions of this story, but my favorite one is when he said that he was riding to the zoo with his brother in a motorcycle sidecar, and when he got in the sidecar, he didn't believe in Jesus, and when he got out, he did. So that's, that's my favorite version of that story. So we're going to stick with that one. Um, so anyway, so C.S. Lewis uh, went through this process of growing up, hearing the stories, hearing the Bible stories, but then going through this struggle in life of losing his mom and really not liking. He, he said later on that the loss of his mom and then really just not liking being at boarding school and then the horror of war. In World War I, uh, all wars are bad, but there were some real horrors um, that he saw and friends that he lost in World War I. So he, he struggled through all that. And he really, if you know his story, he really fought becoming a believer. Like he didn't want to. But he literally, he says, I, don't, I didn't want to believe in Jesus. I didn't want to believe that the stories were true. But eventually, he realized that they were true. And Granted, remember, this is the guy that really loved mythology. He taught it. He, he really was passionate about it. Uh, if you've read any of his books, he definitely um, uh, put that into his books, both his children's books and his um, uh, adult books, if you want to call them that. Um, but what he got to the point of believing is, we're, if you're a Christian and somebody asks you if this story is true, you're like, sure, it's true. Um, but it's also pretty unbelievable. 
And it's as unbelievable as some of the mythology that we've read about or things that we've seen, you know. Some of the most popular movies of all time are movies about modern day or future mythology. The Avengers, Thor, Iron Man, Star Wars. There's all these mythologies. And this is the point that Lewis got. He said he started to realize that it was a true myth. Amazing stories that are completely unbelievable, but then absolutely true. Last week, Brian pl play, played a song, Matthew's Begats, from Andrew Peterson. So I've mentioned C.S. Lewis and Andrew Peterson, so I'm good as far as uh, Midland's um, requirements when you speak. Um, but Andrew Peterson has written uh, a Christmas musical. If you've never gone to see it, he was in Greenville earlier this week. Uh, it's called Behold the Lamb of God. But he was influenced, and he, he talked about this, by that true myth phrase. And so the subtitle of Andrew's Christmas musical is The True Tall Tale of the Coming of Christ. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I have a favor to ask of you. Most of you um, probably were raised in church. Uh, most of you have, have heard this story at least once a year. Um, even if you weren't in church, you heard part of it um, in a Charlie Brown Christmas TV show when Linus would quote out of Luke. But I want, to, I want you to do something for me. I want you to imagine that you're hearing this story for the first time. Ladies, I want you to imagine, if you can, what it was like for Mary. And as we go through this story, like just the, the unbelievable circumstances that she was in, and not only that, but how to address those with her husband, Joseph. And guys, I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes and think about how you would have reacted um, when you found out that your betrothed was expecting. And then you hear this explanation that's unbelievable. So let's, let's dig through that. Um, now, the story of Jesus' birth is in Matthew and it's in Luke. Um, and you need to read both of them to be able to get the full story because Matthew gives an abbreviated version and it's actually uh, doesn't talk about Mary a whole lot. So I think it would be good for us to, to briefly spend a little bit of time in Luke and to hear um, what Mary knew going into this time that we see and read about in Matthew. So um, you can turn there if you'd like, but we're going to be in, in Luke briefly. And... Uh, so Mary is, um, is there, and the angel Gabriel comes uh, and appears before her. And he says, he says, uh, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And one of the things I encourage you to do is, earlier in this first chapter, Zechariah has the same angel show up and talk to him. And their, his response and Mary's response are a little different. Okay, you can read it for yourself, but one of them was uh, rendered mute until their child was born and named. Uh, and the other wrote a song about God <laughs> and praised him. So uh, Mary was the one that wrote the song. So it's interesting to parallel, look at those two different reactions to the same, uh, to an amazing story that's hard to believe. So Mary hears this and hears this greeting and it, it doesn't indicate that she's frightened, but she's like, well, what? What does this mean? Like, what does that 
greeting mean? And so Gabriel tells her, and he says, don't be afraid, Mary. He said, for you have found favor with God. And he goes on to explain some things about Jesus coming. And we need to remember Mary um, was called a favored one by Gabriel, not necessarily because of Mary and her merits, but because she was the recipient of God's grace. She was chosen by God to be the mother of Jesus. I think it's important to remember that. So in verses 33 or 31 through 33, he, he goes on and tells you, says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. So, ladies, put yourself in Mary's shoes, and you hear this. So what's your first response going to be? It may not be what hers was. And I think it's interesting, the wording, specifically one word, in her next statement. So in verse 34, she says, How will this be since I'm a virgin? She's not questioning if. She's not saying how. How can that happen? She's basically saying, well, lay it out for me, because <laughs> this doesn't make any sense, and I know where babies come from, and, like, you got to explain this to me. But Mary, just from the get-go, was being faithful and believing that what Gabriel had told her was true, even though it was unbelievable and remarkable. So he, uh, he lays it out for her. In the following verses, he explains, verses 35 through 37, he says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary, upon hearing this, immediately with haste, the scripture says, goes to the hill country and goes to see Mary, goes to see her relative. And when she shows up, y'all know this story, um, when she shows up, John, Mary, or Elizabeth's child, John the Baptist, leaps in Elizabeth's womb just at the voice, the sound of Mary's voice. Now, I've never been pregnant. Some of you have. Um, when Leanne was expecting, you know, I was able to touch her stomach and feel Sierra and Leah kick. Um, but ladies, I just, leaping, that, that's kind of frightening. <laughs> but obviously, they, he heard the voice of his Savior, the Messiah, and he was excited about it, even as an unborn child. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and was praising uh, God for sending Mary, uh, the mother of her Savior, to come see her. So Mary sticks around for a while and hangs out for about three months with Elizabeth. Okay, So this is immediately after the, the news that you're going to have this baby. 
and the Holy Spirit will conceive this child within you. She goes and stays with Mary for about three months, and then she heads back home to where Joseph is. All right. Three months into a pregnancy is a significant milestone, right? End of the first trimester. But there's another big thing that happens around that time is you get to the point where you can't really hide it anymore. So it's obvious that she is expecting a child. So now let's jump back into Matthew. So Mary's about three months pregnant. Her condition is pretty obvious. Uh, We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us if Mary had a conversation with Joseph. But obviously at this point, Joseph knows. He knows what's going on. Um, So verse 18 said, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot in that verse that we needed to kind of pull out of Luke before we got into the rest of this. So let's talk a little bit about first century marriages. A little different than now. Now, typically in a Western culture, you date for a while, you get engaged, uh, unless you're the Duggars, and then you court and do side hugs, and then eventually you're allowed to, to get married. Back then it was different. So when a girl, usually uh, just after puberty, um, a young man's uh, parents would pick a girl and negotiate with her family, and they would make an arrangement. And it was a legal binding document. So the arrange the arrangement occurred, and then there was a betrothal, and that's the phase that Mary and Joseph ran at this point. Way different than our engagement today. A betrothal was a they're essentially from a legal standpoint, from the Mosaic law standpoint, they're married. They just are not living together at this point. So usually the betrothal period would last up to a year and then they would have a marriage ceremony and that's when they would start living together as husband and wife in the same place. But they're married at this point. So that betrothal, um, any kind of unfaithfulness would be just like in a unfaithfulness in a marriage. Um, So um, they're in the betrothal period and it's leading up to a future wedding ceremony where they are now uh, be, they're, they're able to live together as husband and wife. So um, that was the process back then. So let me share something with you that some of y'all that have known me for a long time know this, but most of you probably don't. Uh, years before I met Leanne, um, I was engaged to somebody else. Um, that ended. Uh, now I'm super happy <laughs> that that ended because if it hadn't, I w- I wouldn't be able to be Leanne's husband or Leah and Sierra's dad. But at the time, it was painful. And I struggled because I had made a commitment and I intended to follow through. And and uh, the other half of that agreement made a different decision. And uh, But the good news was, as painful as that was, legally, piece of cake. <laughs> I got the ring back. Um, that was it. That was it. There was, I didn't have to go to the courthouse, didn't have to talk to a judge, didn't have to go through any kind of process. It just ended. That's not where we are here in the relationship between Joseph and Mary. So Joseph knows, he also knows where babies come from. He knows this child's not his. He knows Mary's been gone for three months. So he makes 
the assumption that we all would make, that she's been unfaithful to him. And we don't even know, according to Scripture, if he's actually heard from Mary at this point and heard her side of the story. But he's just making an assumption. So he's got, he's got three options. According to Mosaic Law, there are three things that, that he could do because he wants to terminate this relationship. The first option is he, he could have her stoned to death um, for being unfaithful. That was in the law. Um, that didn't occur much back then, but it did happen from time to time. So that was option one. Option two was to have a formal public divorce in order to shame um, the other person that was unfaithful. Usually it was the man that would initiate these divorce proceedings and try to shame the lady. He could have gone that route and been totally within Mosaic law. But he had a third option, still complying with the law, but he could choose to divorce her quietly um, and try to save her as much shame as possible. But, I mean, come on, people talk. Mary's pregnant. So people are going to assume um, whatever they want to. Joseph um, made the decision to try to divorce her quietly. That was what he wanted to do and try to save Mary as much shame as possible because he, he cared about her. Now, we don't know about, you know, it was an arranged marriage, but obviously he, I think he loved her. I think he was crushed, but I think he loved her enough that he didn't want her to be hurt any more than, than she had to. But he wanted to be done with her and move on. So we go through all this, and uh, the Bible calls Joseph um, a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. So he, he went with option three, or that's, that was his plan. And then we see... Joseph had a dream, back to our dreamers um, series. In fact, Joseph apparently had a lot of dreams. We're going to hear more about that. I think he took a lot of naps or something. Because uh, we, we don't have a record. Uh, we have a single word that Joseph said recorded in Scripture. Um, but a lot of times, God came to him in, in dreams. Um, so um, he gets a visit from the angel of the Lord. And uh, this is what the angel said. Said, uh, Joseph... Son of David, that's how he starts off. And I think that's uh, critical. That's a critical point. Because Joseph, as we know from last week's message, was a descendant of King David. That's significant. But we also know, and Joseph would have known this, as someone who was following Mosaic law and in the synagogues on a regular basis and trying to be obedient, he also knows that the Messiah that's been prophesied about was going to come through the lineage of David. So the Messiah is the son of David as well. So he, uh, he says, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. And this is where Gabriel Quotes Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. So we know Mary's story, and we know that Mary is faithful, and she's being obedient to God. Whatever the consequences, whatever people think about her, she's going to be faithful to God. This is where we learn 
um, a lot about Joseph and what kind of man he is. He wakes up from his sleep, and immediately he does exactly what the angel told him to do. He takes Mary as his wife. He honored her virginity until after the baby was born. And then when Jesus was born and he was taken to the temple, he was given the name Jesus as he was instructed. So there's some things going on here, okay? Usually, usually Joseph gets overlooked in the Christmas story. Um, Matt sent me an article from the Gospel Coalition this week, and I can't remember who, who wrote it, but he was talking about when he was a child, he was in a Christmas play, and he was a cow, and he had more lines than Joseph. <laughs> because Joseph is kind of like a prop. Like we don't, a lot of times we don't pay attention to him. He's just there in the manger setting, and you know he's the one that's transporting Mary uh, to Bethlehem. But, but man, Joseph uh, was a man of faith. So here's some things that we know. Like I said, he, none of his words are recorded in Scripture, but we can get a sense of the type of man he was by what Scripture tells us. First of all, he's a man of integrity. Initially, you know, he wanted to make sure he was obedient to Mosaic law and what he was doing in, in regards to his betrothal and, and upcoming marriage to, to Mary. But he also wanted to protect her, even though his initial reaction would have had, a, had to have been that she was unfaithful because he knew he was not the father. He was also a man of faith, obviously. Angel comes, talks to him, and he is immediately obedient. There's no questions. There's no, kind of like Mary. Like Mary said, how will this happen? We don't know what Joseph said, but he pops up out of his dream and, and gets on with it and is obedient. And here's something that really tells us a lot about Joseph. Joseph was the man that God chose to be his son Jesus' legal and earthly father. You don't just give your kids to anybody. Okay? Lynn and I didn't go on a whole lot of dates when our girls were little because we didn't trust anybody. <laughs> um, and until Katie started babysitting for us. Um, you just don't want to give your kids to somebody that, that you don't trust. So God chose Joseph to be his son's adopted earthly father. And then the last thing about Joseph that I wanted to mention is his, we know what kind of man he is because of his willingness to do God's will, no matter what the consequences. Joseph and Mary's faithfulness didn't stop the rumors, didn't stop the accusations, didn't talk, stop the gossip. Here's what probably continued to occur for most people most people throughout the rest of their lives believed that Mary was unfaithful. Most people believed that Joseph was a fool for marrying her. But both Mary and Joseph knew the truth. And when we talk about this true myth, a story that we've heard over and over and over and over again, we need to remember this is amazing. This is a miracle. Um, this story isn't about Mary and her faithfulness, even though that's a part of the story. And it's not about Joseph and his faithfulness. It's a story about Jesus. Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah that the entire nation of Israel had been waiting on for hundreds of years. And, and for us, he's the Savior. He's the Savior that we've been dreaming of our whole lives. 
So we see how Mary responded to this unbelievable story, and we see how Joseph responded to this unbelievable story. So the question is, how do we respond to this unbelievable story? Because Jesus was born of a virgin, which means he was fully man. But he was also conceived by the Holy Spirit, which means he wasn't born with that sinful human nature. He was fully God as well. Don't ask me to explain that, but it's true. He did that in order to come and live a perfect life and be obedient and die on the cross so that we will not be held accountable ultimately for our sinful nature. We can be forgiven through Jesus. That's why this story is so amazing. Um, The angel called him Emmanuel, God with us. Um, And the question is, do we believe this story is true? We've heard it for forever. But do we really believe that it's true? And do we live our lives in a way that shows that we believe it's true? We can't lose the awe in this story. So let me jump back to Jack real quick. Um, I don't have a lot in common with Jack. Uh, He was brilliant. Um, I like books. Maybe that's something I've got in common with with Jack. But but there was something else that I kind of share with him a little bit. I was was raised in church. I, I don't remember ever not going. Some of you may be the same way that you were raised in church. Some of you, it might have been older when you first started coming. Some of you are maybe still trying to figure out if you believe uh, if these stories are true. One of the things I don't remember is I don't ever remember the awe of hearing the Christmas story for the first time. Like, I have no memory of not knowing it. You know, I was raised in church and I know it. Um, But man, it's so unbelievable, yet so true. I'm thankful, don't get me wrong, I'm thankful that my parents had me in church from an early age. But, um, but I have friends that didn't come to a belief in Christ until they were adults. And it was such a pleasure seeing that you know, awe of this story. And I, I don't want us to lose that. So I want to close with the story about the first time God really brought that home to me. Um, this was the, the first time I've ever, I ever went on an international mission trip. And it was a few months actually before I met Leanne. And I was in Kenya. Um, I was actually with um, Elizabeth and Katie's mom and dad. And there was a group of six of us, three men, three women. And the three ladies went to the interior of Kenya and lived in a hut and had to kill their own chickens, seriously, um, to eat. Um, and I, I really don't feel bad about this at, at all, and I should. But the three men went... And we were staying at a resort on the Indian Ocean. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was great. It was suffering for the Lord. Um, so, but during the day, we would go into the villages, and we would meet people. And, and I had this uh, fantastic um, translator with me. His name was Cornelius. And if any of y'all have been to, uh, in a situation where you don't speak the language and somebody's having to translate for you, especially if you're sharing the gospel. So I would... I would, we would go to these different villages, and I would, I would talk for like 30 minutes, and then Cornelius would talk for like 10. <laughs> I don't know what he was saying. He was probably correcting something that I messed up on I, or just saying a lot better than me, but he would just go on and on. It was fantastic. But um, we got in this one village, and there was a young lady there, and uh, she was blind, and um, we came up and started talking to her, and I'm, 
you know, I'm fumbling through and sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel story. And uh, so I go and I, I do my 30 seconds. Then Cornelius um, says his brilliant stuff for five minutes or so. And, and finally, we get through this process and I've shared the gospel with her. Um, and, uh, and so I said, would you like to, would you like to know more about Jesus or would you like to, do you believe, do you believe this story? Um, and so Cornelius says something to her and then she says something back to him and then he starts laughing. And then he says something in Swahili, which I, that was like right when the Lion King came out. So I knew Akuna Matata, but that was it. Um, and then she starts laughing. And I'm like, and then some of the other people that were standing around started laughing. I'm like, what, what did I say? <laughs> um, is there a way out of here? <laughs> you know, what's going on? But here's what she said, and here's what Cornelia shared with me. She said, um, I'm, I'm already a believer, but the story is so good. I just wanted to hear it again. The story is so good because it's true. And we don't ever need to forget that. When we hear the story of Jesus, it leads us to the story of his life without sin, which leads us to his sacrifice on the cross, and then ultimately to his defeat of death for all eternity, so that we can be saved through him, not, not on our own merit. That leads us um, to a time in our, in our service every week where we observe communion. A um, little different this week, just logistically speaking. It's going to be back in the lobby there. So let's practice and pretend we're uh, American drivers. So in through the right, back through the left, so we won't run all over each other. But um, but here's the thing. This you've heard uh, Hart and Matt and everyone that, that speaks. This is this is a family meal. So um, if you still don't know where you stand on these on the story of Jesus if you haven't accepted him as your savior we ask that you don't participate because this is a meal um, for believers nobody's gonna point you out nobody's gonna give you a hard time but but this is serious because we are celebrating that sacrifice the juice represents Jesus blood the bread represents his body and so it's a serious time and it's a time for believers, a family of believers, to come together and celebrate the fact that this story is true. And Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and was the perfect and only acceptable sacrifice for our sins. So the band's going to come up in a minute, uh, both of them, and... Uh, um, but let me, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll take communion. Father, we thank you for this time today. Father, we thank you for just loving us so much that, that you sent Jesus. He was willing to come to humble himself and to walk the earth but live a sinless life so that he could be a sacrifice for our sins. We don't ever need to forget that. We don't ever need to be desensitized to that. Father, help us to just stay in awe of the love that you have for us, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.